Yeah, like Phil said earlier, it's not Sunday. <laughs> and uh, I, I have to confess, I had a minor heart palpitation this morning when Gab said, and now Scott's coming to preach. And he kind of gestured in that direction where I was sitting. I thought, huh, did I read the roster wrong? Am I on this morning? Yeah, but no. So thanks for your message this morning, Scott. Um, tonight we're finishing our series on um, complex parables. Um, now, I like parables. And I think one of the we have with parables is they are complicated because they don't say often what we want them to say. They say something different. You know, you can, you can study parables regularly, and each time you go and have a look at them, they say something different, depending on where you're at with your journey with the Lord. Um, and I think Jesus used parables for a number of reasons. You know, an interesting story draws people in. Scott shared a story this morning about a lady <clears throat> who'd been praying for missionaries, particularly in Africa, for 60 years. I'm going to remember that story for a long time. Not because um, that's a, a common occurrence, but because it's an unusual occurrence. It's an occurrence worthy of note. Stories draw people in, and then people remember stories. And I think Jesus used parables too to separate the seekers from the merely curious. You know, the merely curious, and in fact the haters, it was just another story. To the seekers, the people truly looking for truth, they would sit and they would think about the story, and they would find the meaning that Jesus had hidden in there. And additionally, parables are like bees. You know, they're busy. They're fun to look at. They're always doing something. But there's a sting in the tail. You know, the stories that Jesus tells, they kind of lull you in. They were looking at a story about a feast and about people who didn't want to come. But there's that hook at the end, that sting in the tail. Jesus' parables were designed to challenge our assumptions, to challenge us, the way we view the world, the way we see God the way we see our place in God's mission. The feast story may have been fairly common in Jesus' time. It may have been a common story. And it uses a bit of irony. You know, who buys a field or ten oxen without checking them out first? You know, it's, it's, you think about if you've bought a house. Did you go and look at the house? Did you go and look at the house again? Did you go and look at the house a third time? Did you even go and park in the street at night and listen to the neighbours. You know, you don't just buy a house and then go and look at it. So the hearers of this story would have been sitting there thinking, yeah, something funny is going on here, but not sure what. Okay, so today we're going to look at the parable as Matthew records it in Matthew 22, but there is a very similar parable in Luke chapter 13. Um, so if you turn with me in your Bibles or your devices to Matthew 22, we'll begin reading at verse 1. So once more Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who'd been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again, he sent other slaves saying, tell those who've been invited, look, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered 
and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and went away, one to his farm, another to his business. While the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers and burnt their cities. Then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. And those slaves went out into the streets and they gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. When the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he, was speech, uh, and he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. And the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. So in Luke's gospel, it's a similar parable, but uh, the, the main person is just a person. It's not a king. Uh, it's a person who invites many, it says. Um, in Luke's gospel, there's less violence. It's less of the Hollywood version. Um, some people see Matthew's reference here to the, um, the destruction of the temple in AD 70, and that's possibly what, what he included in there. But that's not what I'm looking at tonight. The servants in, um, in the parable are sent out twice in Luke's Gospel, once to the town and then once to the laneways. And again, scholars have read into that a number of different interpretations. But again, I won't be getting into that tonight either. And Luke specifies that the people who were called in, the alternative guests, were the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. The original guests had been chosen to attend, they had been invited, and they had accepted those invitations. It's the way it worked back then. You didn't have a, a cell phone. You couldn't flick someone an email and say, hey, I'm having a party. you want to come? You actually invited them, and they accepted. And when the food, the party was ready, you would send out your slaves who would go and knock on doors and say, hey, it's ready. Time for the party. But those people apparently had more important things to do. Luke tells us one had bought a field, another had bought five yoke of oxen or ten oxen. It's a lot of oxen. Another guy had got married and wanted to spend time with his wife. The things of the world had pulled them away from their commitment. Their commitment to this king in Matthew, this person in Luke. So the servants are sent out or the slaves are sent out to invite other people. Luke specifies that they are the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Now remember, this parable was told to the elders and the, or the chief priests of Israel, the religious leaders who had questioned Jesus' authority. Leviticus chapter 21 tells us that the people that Jesus said were invited could not be uh, involved in temple worship. Leviticus 21 specifically excludes cripples, lame, blind from temple service. And so Jesus is saying those people, the people the Old Testament excluded, have now been included. And the priests 
are now excluded. Jesus' ministry, the new kingdom, is open to all. You don't have to be part of the privileged elite. You don't have to be of particular descent. Everyone is welcome. Anyone is welcome. God invites us all to his new kingdom, both Jew and Gentile. Now, this isn't news to us because we've grown up with it. It should not have been news to the people of Israel either. But it was because of their assumptions. The Old Testament was clear. God had been saying throughout the history of Israel that he was Lord of the whole earth, not just God of Israel. Right back to Abraham. Israel was selected for a specific purpose. God said to um, Abraham in Genesis 12, I will bless you, bless those who bless you. The ones who curse you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's all the families of the earth. Not just the Israel. Not just Abraham's genetic descendants. In Exodus chapter 19, just before God hands over the Ten Commandments, he says, now, therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. These are the words you shall speak to the Israelites. The Israelites were meant to represent God to the world. They were called to be a nation of priests, and yet they had turned inwards. They had tried to keep it for themselves. Jonah, another example, was sent to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, to preach repentance, sent out of Israel to preach the word of God. And we know how that story turned out. In Amos chapter 9, verse 7, God says, Are you not like the Ethiopians to me, O people of Israel, says the Lord? Did I not bring up Israel up out of the land of Egypt? and the Philistines from Kippur, and the Arminians from Kerr. God has been involved in the nations of the world, not just Israel. God had been working with the Arminians, the Philistines, the Egyptians. They were all his people. In Isaiah chapter 19, um, Isaiah writes, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my heritage. Israel had a special place in history. They were chosen by God to be priests to the world, a priestly nation. But God was also interested in the other nations. God was also involved in the other nations. As the psalmist wrote in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, the world and those who live in it. <clears throat> so this should not have been a surprise to the Jewish leaders. It shouldn't be a surprise to us. The invitation to God's kingdom is for everybody, not just those we deem to be worthy, not just those the chief priests and the elders deem to be worthy. The lame, the poor, the blind, the crippled are all welcome in God's kingdom. In fact, if you read through Luke, one of the major themes in Luke's gospel is restoration and inclusion. The amount of stories where someone is healed and restored to their community, 
Our mission is to reach out with the gospel to a world that needs to hear it. Our mission is to be Christ with skin on. We might not all be called to overseas mission. Like Scott was talking about this morning, one lady prayed for 60 years. That was her job. That was her calling. We are still called to be salt and light to a hurting world. We are called to be a visible example of Christ where he has put us. The thing that gives this parable its sting is the way it challenges our assumptions. It pushes us out of our comfort zone. We are invited to be part of God's mission to save the world. Like the slaves in the parable, we're not just invited guests, we are also sent to invite others. The invitation is there. How we respond is up to us. As we saw in the parable, the examples or the excuses given are ridiculous. You don't buy a plot of land or ten, uh, ten oxen without inspecting them first. They just didn't want to go to the feast. The person organizing the feast had issued the invitation, they had accepted the invitation, or the slaves wouldn't be sent to pick them up to call them, right? They had changed their minds. They now had other priorities. And these priorities pulled them away from the kingdom of God. Now most of us here tonight have heard God's invitation. Most of us have responded. Otherwise we probably wouldn't be here tonight. So like us, or so like the religious leaders of the day, this warning is for us too. What is precious to us? What is important to us? What are our priorities? Is our relationship with God really the most important thing to us? Luke wrote in chapter 9, verse 62, Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The temptation is there, isn't it? You go to, to the meeting as a teenager, you go to the, the outreach, there's the hype, there's the enthusiasm. You know, they invite you down the front and scores of people are coming forward. I'm sure you've all been to those sort of crusades. I, maybe it was an 80s thing. And the, the pressure is there. Your mate's going forward, so you go forward and you pray the sinner's prayer and you've become a Christian. And then life happens. You go back to school, you go back to work. Life drags on. You've put your hand on the plow, but now you start to look back. Maybe life was actually not so bad. Maybe your old friends weren't that bad after all. If you put your hand to the plow and then look back, you are not fit for the kingdom of God. Hebrews chapter 6 puts it even more succinctly, more clearly. The author wrote, It is impossible to restore into repentance those who have been enlightened, have tasted the heavenly gift, have shared in the Holy Spirit, tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and have then fallen away. Since on their own they are crucifying again the Son of God and holding him to contempt. It is possible according to the author of Hebrews, to share in the Holy Spirit, to taste the goodness of the word of God 
and the powers of the age to come and then fall away. It is possible to be led astray by the, the bright lights of the world, by other priorities. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew wrote, and similarly he wrote in Matthew 25 as well, you know, the parable about the sheep and the goats and separating the sheep from the goats at the judgment. But in chapter 7, verse 20, right, 21, he writes, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? And do many great deeds of power in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away from me, you evildoers. It is entirely possible to be in the wedding feast, but to not be wearing the wedding robe. Jesus will declare, I never knew you. John chapter 15, I am the true vine, my father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit he prunes to make it bear more fruit. 1 Timothy 6, chapter uh, verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. The question tonight that this parable asks, what is your precious? What is your priority? What is your life all about? Why are you here? What is the focus of your life? Is it your new field? Is it your five yoke of oxen? Is it your career? What drives you? In Matthew, people will say to Christ at the end, they cast out demons. They did many deeds of power. They prophesied in Christ's name. And Christ will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Christ and his kingdom must be our number one priority. Our relationship with Christ must be our number one priority. Now we're not talking about salvation by works. We're talking about an outworking of our faith. The book of James makes quite a big deal about the relationship between faith and works. Chapter 2 in James, verses 15 to 26, goes on quite a lot about the relationship between faith and works. Basically, for James, works are a result of our faith. Because we have faith, because we have a relationship with Christ, we do what James calls works. We love others. Put that love into action. We put feet on our love. Faith without works is dead. And you contrast that to Matthew's um, parable of the sheep and the goats in chapter 25. The goats did the right things. You know, they... They prophesied, they um, cast out demons, they preached the gospel. But on the day of judgment, God says to them, I never knew you. 
because what the sheep said, what did we do? And Jesus said, you fed the hungry, you clothed the naked, you visited the prisoners in prison, you put feet on your love, you put your love into action in the world, you were an example of Christ's love for the world. So, we are clearly all at the wedding, but do we have the right robe? This parable is a warning about our priorities, what we hold as precious, what we live for. Are we committed to furthering the kingdom of God, or are we more interested in, inspect in inspecting our new field, or inspecting our oxen? What is the focus? of your life? Are we comfortable with just coming to church on a Sunday and then living our own life for the rest of the week? Or are we, like the Jewish religious leaders, sitting in smug satisfaction with our salvation, secure in the knowledge that we are of the chosen people? The rest of the world can burn. Is our religion nothing more than an insurance policy just in case the preacher was right and there is something after death? According to Matthew, you can be at the wedding but not dressed right. You can do all the right things but not have a relationship with Christ. So what is the right robe? How do we dress appropriately for the wedding? James chapter 2 says, If a brother or sister is naked and lacks food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm, eat your fill, yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what good is that? So faith, by itself, if it has no works, is dead. We are called to be part of a body. We're not all called to go overseas as missionaries. We're not all called to do um, amazing things. We're not all called to be preachers or uh, pastors or um, all the other things that people do. But we are called to be a part of a body. Some of us are hands. Some of us are feet. Some of us are mouths. Some of us are ears. But we are called to do something. God has given us gifts and abilities to do that. And that is how we bear fruit. As Scott was talking this morning about the lady that prayed for 60 years every day for missionaries in Africa, books probably won't be written about that. They should be, but they're not. That work has value. That work bears fruit. It doesn't get international recognition. Name up in bright lights. But that work bears fruit. And that is what Christ is talking about. Be faithful with what you have been given. We've been invited to be part of God's kingdom. We have been equipped to do the work that he has called us to do. The question this parable asks is, are we doing that? Are we doing it out of our relationship with Christ, 
out of love for Christ as the things we do a result of our faith, a result of our relationship, or out of a desire for recognition. What are our priorities? What do we consider to be precious? Is Christ the centre of your life or just an add-on? Is Christ the primary focus or has your focus shifted to something else? I'll give you a couple of minutes just to sit in silence and think about that. I've been doing this a bit during the week as I was preparing this, and some of the answers I got were not particularly comforting. So just take a couple of minutes and think, what is your priority? What is it that makes you tick? Is it a relationship with Christ? Is it serving Christ? Or is it something else? If you do need to talk or pray with someone after this, um, just come up the front and Gav or Ian or one of the elders will be available to pray and spend time with you.